0: Yeah. Is anybody warm? Just me? Just me? (laughs) Yeah. No, sorry, baby. Women over 40 have no idea temperature at all. Yeah, well, I didn't want to say that. (laughs) If you guys have your Bibles, Maybe we kick on the fans anyway? Yeah. Oh, you guys are beautiful. Um, open up your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. Tonight, exciting note, tonight in the book of Isaiah, uh, we find ourselves in the, in the second section of the book of Isaiah, and we're going to end the first of uh, three partitions in the last section. So we're working our way. The good news is tonight, when we finish... We will then be ready to focus, zoom in, if you will, to the prophecy specifically concerning the Messiah from chapter 49 on. I'm sure everyone's familiar with 53 and 54 and and some of those scriptures that we see all the time. We'll be getting into those, uh, um, if not next week, real soon uh, thereafter. So we're going to end that section tonight and we're going to continue taking a look at the comparisons that God's making between himself uh, to the nation of Israel and their idols. What is able to save, what is not able to save. Oftentimes when we study, you guys need to know the place? Isaiah 47. Sorry. <clears throat> I would have got there sooner or later. <clears throat> you weren't missing anything yet. But listen, the one of the things that the Lord's doing is comparing that which is able to save with, with that which is not. Making the comparison with himself. And uh, uh, to everything else that they were putting their faith and trust in. The, the way that that relates to you and I. Maybe we're not like Judah. And we're not facing the, the onslaught of an enemy army that's coming you know, down the road in the future. But we do recognize in our life there are those things in which we place our trust that are not trustworthy. And we should never be shocked when we put our trust in something that's not trustworthy and it fails. Because... There's only one thing that's trustworthy, and that's the Lord. Only one thing, and that's Him. And putting our our faith and trust, our hope, everything that we are, in Him. And one of the things we discussed this morning in regard to that is, is recognizing, realizing every single thing that enters into your life. If you're a believer, you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Every hardship, every difficulty, every blessing... Every boon that you've experienced in your life has all passed through the hands of a God who loves you. And the purpose behind it all is to perfect you and bring glory to Him. That's what it's there for. And if we're willing to acknowledge that and put God in that rightful place, that He's central in our life, then when we face those things, we will have the strength we need. What we're going to see with Israel, we know Judah is going to go into captivity. They're going to enter into captivity to Babylon because they put all their hope and trust in idols. And their idols are going to fail them. And God will cure them of their idolatry while they're in Babylon. But listen, Babylon, we're going to see tonight, is not held guiltless. Just because God used Babylon to do His will doesn't mean that the way Babylon did it, the way Babylon treated God's people was okay with God. That's what he's going to tell Babylon. And the prophecies that Isaiah is laying out for us and what's going on, keep in mind, Babylon is just a little knee-high power. They're not a superpower in the nation yet. They've not even come on the scene. And already the Scriptures not only have declared that they will rise to to the place of a superpower, they will uh, be able to uh, conquer Uh, judah and and so that all of israel will be taken into captivity not only all those things but they're going to be held accountable for what they do before they've ever done it god tells them they're going to mistreat his people and god's going to hold them accountable for it and all the way through this comparison the lord is saying who else can tell you the end from the beginning it's me i'm the lord i'm the one in whom you can place your trust I'm the one in whom you can hope. So as we begin chapter 47, he says, Now come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground without a throne, a daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no more be be called tender and delicate. Now as we take a look at what's going on, what we're going to see is a picture of Babylon being humiliated like a woman being humiliated. And the idea that the lord this is before they, they've even been, been raised up. But the Lord is saying, hey, you're going to be so full of pride. I need you to realize, I need you to, re- to understand that you're going to be brought low. Like that daughter who, who's used to sitting on the throne, but now she's sitting in the dirt. And he goes on to describe this. He says, take the millstones and grind meal. Now, she's probably never done work in her life. But now that, that country, that land of Babylon, they're gonna, they're gonna be working hard, taking millstones and grinding meal. And then he says, remove your veil, take off your skirt, uncover your thigh, pass through the rivers. That is speaking of a forced relocation. Your nakedness shall be uncovered, the humiliation of this, uh, this young girl, which is a picture of the nation of Babylon. Yes, your shame will be seen. For I will take vengeance, and I will not arbitrate with a man. God laying out, like we were talking about, his vengeance that will be taken upon Babylon for the way Babylon treats his people. Now, when we look at this, sometimes, I don't know about for you guys, sometimes prophecy can can, uh, mess with my mind a little bit. Like we begin to think because God foretells something that someone has no choice. That it was chosen for him and they had no opportunity to make decisions for themselves. But the reality is far from it. God, seeing all of time at one time, knows our choices before we know them. He understands our choices before we understand them. He knows where we're going and how we're going to get there. Because outside of time, he watches those things. He sees them. The end and the beginning at the same time. Best picture I ever heard uh, was a description Chuck Smith gave once long time ago when he talked about being on top of a tall skyscraper and watching a parade and as he looked down at the parade he was able to see where the parade began and where the parade ended and as the parade went through he knew what these people were going to see and what was going to happen when this flow got to them why because he could see it at the beginning he could see what was going to take place at the end it's a it's a weak but somewhat understandable picture of what it's like for the lord So the Lord lays out for it. This is what's going to happen to Babylon. Listen, do you trust God to be that which avenges you? Because one of the biggest trips and falls that that people have, one of the biggest grudges and, and, and issues that people hold on to is that concept that somebody's done me wrong and I'm going to get them. Or so-and-so is getting away with something and I'm going to make them pay or somebody needs to make them pay. And we forget that the scripture declares for us, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, right? God says, you entrust me with all of those thoughts and issues of the heart. Because we are not capable of understanding what truly is right or wrong. And God is, God wants us to surrender that to him. He wants us to lay those things down before Him and say, Lord, I trust You. In this case, in this situation, whatever has gone on, whatever person has done you wrong or done you dirty or, or, or whatever the case may be, God wants us to entrust Him. Listen, before Israel was even maltreated by Babylon, God already had it all taken care of. And He's already got taken care of whatever it is that you think that we or that you yourself need to take care of. God wants us to put that in His hands. He wants us to put in His hands our disappointments. He wants us to put into His hands all those times someone else has hurt us. He wants us, just like the psalmist. Remember the psalmist when he said, You know, I, I was looking at how the wicked prosper, and I almost lost heart until I came into the house of the Lord, and I saw His end. David realized, you know, I, got, I don't need to worry about this stuff. God will sort all those things out. What is God calling us to be? Just like Israel, just like Judah, God's calling us to be His witness. His witness. What greater witness is there than, than on those times? There, there's been a few occasions in my life where, <clears throat> where I've, I've had an opportunity to watch someone uh, do something that I thought was otherworldly. One of, the, one of the, uh, the examples that comes to mind most easily for me is, is uh, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, who, when the police were setting dogs on him and when people were beating him and when they were doing all these things, they didn't, they didn't pick up a stick and go to beating. Now, that's not to say all people didn't. But that's not what he was about. It never was. He was about making their issue known to the nation... And trusting that God was going to work it out. Well, it hasn't probably fully been realized, but what a what a testimony for for me as a young man watching the things, those scenes on the news when when those things were going on, and and thinking, you know, they're not retaliating; they're just they're just you know laying that stuff really in the hands of God, and saying, you know, it's not right. And in, at least in some small way, that, that really changed the direction of a nation. And I think that the Lord would have us understand that same idea. He, he's telling Judah, before they're in captivity, by, by a hundred or more years, He's saying, listen, even before you go into captivity, let me tell you, the, I'll take care of what Babylon does to you that's wrong. Just trust me. One of the, one of the biggest heartbreaks of this captivity is Jeremiah. We come to Jeremiah next, and as we study Jeremiah, you're going to hear Jeremiah tell the people over and over again, don't fight. You're fighting against the Lord. Lay down your weapons and just go into captivity and live your life in peace. God was not calling them to war. Yet the people raised arms against Nebuchadnezzar. And people were slaughtered and lives were lost because they would not hear the words of God's prophet Jeremiah, that's why he's called the weeping prophet, because he sits outside the city and watches its destruction. And his heart is broken because they would not trust God. Now, hey, I'm with you. I know there are certain things that we face in life and it's hard to trust God with. There are certain things that we feel like we get the raw deal on. But it doesn't make any difference. does not matter what it is. No matter what, No matter the situation, God's word for us is, trust me. Don't lean in your own understanding. Don't think about what you ought to do about this situation, but trust me. And then be led by the Spirit, right? The battles that we fight are are not carnal. Our enemies are not our neighbors and and man that we see walking around. Our enemy is the enemy of the Lord, the the destroyer of, of the soul, the one who wants to to take people to hell. And we need to, someone much greater than ourselves to fight him. If you think you can fight him on your own, do a little study on the sons of Sceva. See how that worked out for them. Didn't work out so good. And the sons of Sceva stood before that demon-possessed man, and they said, we cast you out by the Jesus whom Paul serves. Oh. Well, let me tell you, Jesus we know, Paul we know, Peter we know. We don't know you. And the Jackie paraphrases, he gets whooped and runs away naked and bleeding. That's not a good, those two things should never go together, by the way. That's bad. What is it that we need to do? We need to be led by the Spirit of God. Trust God in those situations. Listen, the Lord says right here at the end of verse 3 of chapter 47, I will not arbitrate with man. What's that mean? That means, listen, your counsel I don't need. What does the scripture tell us? His ways are higher than our ways. Aren't they? His ways are as high as the heavens are above the earth. The Lord says, that's how high my ways are above your ways. So you trust me. I don't need your two cents. I've been more than willing to give it to the Lord on many occasions. But he doesn't need my two cents. What he needs is my trust. I trust you. And then he goes straight in at verse 4 and he says, And as for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel. And as for our Redeemer, it's uh, the root word for the word Goel. The kinsman redeemer. The story of the book of Ruth. The whole understanding of what redemption is all about is found in the book of Ruth. Read the book of Ruth. You'll learn what redemption means. As Boaz redeems Ruth and Naomi. And when we look at that, the scripture here is declaring, our, who's our redeemer? Jesus Christ is our redeemer. Who's he, who's he focusing in on? He's focusing in on Jesus Christ, the redeemer, our Lord, the Lord of hosts, Sabaoth. The Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel. He goes on and says, now listen, sit in silence and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no longer be called the lady of the kingdoms. Babylon is going to face a yet future destruction. And some of the the things we're going to talk about here in chapter uh, 47 are going to allude to that. If you want to read up on that, it's Revelation chapter 17 and 18. The destruction of mystery Babylon, that great harlot. That great harlot alluded to here by Isaiah, by the humiliated woman. This, this woman here that we're going to read about who, who says, Hey, I'm, I'm uh, no widow and I'm, uh, I, I'm never going to lose my children. i always sit in power. The idea is that Babylon, this mystery Babylon from which... We derive every false religious system. Still a great work, a great book to read is The Two Babylons by Reverend Hislop. He, He does this incredible work that shows us the foundation of this false religious system began at the Tower of Babel under Nimrod. Tower of Babel was also, by the way, the center of a place that we call Babylon. And that all the false religions of the world had their foundation there and spread around the world at the dividing of the tongues as the nations were divided in that place in the book of Genesis. And he's able to trace them all out and show this same picture in all these other world religions. So it's incredible Uh, to see and this is what he's pointing to here the ultimate destruction of babylon listen babylon it says no one will ever live in you the scripture declares no one will ever reside in you again they're not going to be nothing there but wild animals that's not the case that destruction has not occurred revelation chapter 17 and 18 highlight for us the destruction of babylon in essence guys the bible is a story of two cities jerusalem the city of peace and Babylon, the city of rebellion against the Lord. And those two cities do battle all throughout time. And maybe they're in a geographical location like they are today, and maybe they're not always. The beautiful thing about understanding prophecy is when we look back on fulfilled prophecies, we can see it perfectly. When we look forward to what is yet to be fulfilled, our vision is somewhat askew. It's not so easy to see. But the scripture declares to us in Revelation 17 and 18 that this world system in rebellion against God will be judged and that all the coastlands and all the nations are going to look at the burning of Babylon and they're going to weep and they're going to wail. That's still to come. I find it interesting that in recent history we find ourselves in a war in Persia, the the home of Babylon... Uh, with a a world ruler who was working at rebuilding Babylon, a world that's interested in in securing that area of the world and helping that area of the world reach a place where they're able to find security and not warfare with one another. Maybe we're seeing the beginnings of someone coming in and and building a, a new world trade center that hasn't been bombed yet. And they build it right smack dab in the middle where all the power is Uh, if you think all the power is here you need to wake up it's not here there's this little black stuff that these people have in the ground they call all the shots with it they have far beyond what we can imagine even in our reserves I'm not saying we don't have big reserves we do but they have a ton They could build that World Trade Center once again on the same ground that we see Babylon in, and that would be the future fulfillment that we see of the destruction of Babylon. But keep in mind, Babylon, it just lays out for us. It's that city of rebellion against God. A lot of people over time have looked at Babylon and said, well, that's Las Vegas, that's New York, or that's wherever, any number of places you might want to name. The reality is all around the world we see cities in rebellion against the Lord, don't we? But the Bible lays out for us that there is yet a destruction that will take place. In that destruction it says in verse 6, Now I was angry with my people, and I have profaned my inheritance, and I gave them into your hand. But you showed them no mercy on the elderly you laid your yoke very heavily. See, God wasn't blind to what was going on. He First, he wants to let them know, I was angry with my people, so I profaned my inheritance. I gave them to you. If I don't give them to you, you can't have them. But yet, Babylon would begin to boast, right? King Nebuchadnezzar himself was going to be humbled by the Lord, driven mad for, for seven years uh, as a judgment against the Lord by being lifted up in His pride at the kingdom He had built, when in fact it was God who had given Him that kingdom. Here the Lord is saying, listen, you didn't show no mercy on the people I gave you. And you poured out your, you poured out your yoke, your burden very heavily upon the elderly. God cares about that. That matters to Him. He doesn't miss that point. And as a result, this judgment comes against Babylon. And you said... I will be a lady forever, so that you did not take these things to heart, nor remember the latter end of them. Therefore, hear this now, you who are given the pleasures, who dwell securely, who say in your heart, I am and there is no one else beside me. Now, as we look at this section of Scripture, folks, if you'll read Revelation 17 and 18, you'll see a very clear parallel between this this great harlot, Mystery Babylon, and what we hear the voice, this woman described in the book of Isaiah, declaring before the Lord as well. Hey, I'm going to sit forever. I'm always going to be a place of power. Everything's going to be okay. You are not going to be able to, to unseat this power that I have. I am and there is no one else beside me. I shall not sit as a widow, nor will I know the loss of children. But these two things shall come to you in a moment, in one day. Revelation seventeen eighteen describes to us when... Babylon is destroyed. Its destruction comes in a moment in one day. Now, when the children of Israel were reading this, how was that possible? I mean, other than the hand of God, as he destroyed Solomon and Gomorrah, there's no way for a city to be destroyed in one moment in one day. You and I, we have a hard time understanding that today. Now, you can, it's a piece of cake. Some crazy guy pushes a button, and that's what happens. So when we look at this, we recognize, hey, when the Lord is laying out this prophecy for them, they're called to trust Him. For you and I, we can see how it's fulfilled. We can see how these things can occur. And it's going to take place in one day, in one moment. Listen, Babylon, that world power in rebellion against the Lord will rise again. In fact, I, I would go so far as to say it is risen again. You have an entire continent, Europe, at one time it was Christianized. It is now a post-Christian nation filled with, with uh, mosques, imams, run by, in many cases, uh, different Muslim powers that have overtaken that entire place. Where at one time it had been claimed for Christ, today it is not so. The world is in outright hatred to what Jesus Christ stands for. It is that way now. It will always be. It will always be. Jesus said that we'll always be at, at war with the world. But he also would tell us, Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. He also told us, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We're not to be afraid. We're to just to trust him. But recognize God said this was going to come. We see these things happening. We see these things being fulfilled. He says, now this is why they're coming upon him. Because of the multitude of your sorceries for the great abundance of your enchantments. He's going to build on this concept. We'll we'll go through this next section a little bit quicker. But listen, that's the exact same claim that's brought against Mystery Babylon. The foot, the foundation of all religion in opposition to Christ. And here he says, hey, it's for your sorceries, for your enchantments, for these things that that you've had of great abundance. Verse 10, he says, for you have trusted in your wickedness. You have said, no one sees me. Your wisdom, your knowledge have warped you. And you have said in your heart, I am and there was no one else beside me folks in 1933 the humanist manifesto was written and upon that manifesto were these words there is no god we mankind must save himself you have said i am and there is no one else beside me that's that's the cry of the world in rebellion to god there is no god the atheist movement, the, the, the belief that there is nothing, that, that we are responsible for ourselves and what's going to happen uh, is going to happen through our ability to, to change ourselves. That's worked out great in the past. And I'm sure it's going to work out even better as we continue to move forward because the evil that man can do, you can't even put a, a thumb on it. At just about the time you think that's the worst thing I've ever heard of, somebody is going to do something worse. Because the Lord says that in the heart of man it's, it's desperately wicked, deceitful. And no one can know it. It's this desire to do wrong, to do evil. And this is the cry of the world in opposition to God. The world that is in rebellion against God. Also known as Babylon. He goes on and says, Therefore evil will come upon you. You shall not know from where it rises... And trouble shall fall upon you. You will not be able to put it off. And desolation will come upon you suddenly, which you shall not know. Stand now with your enchantments and the multitude of your sorceries, in which you have labored from your youth. Perhaps you will be able to profit. Perhaps you will prevail. For you are wearied in the multitude of your counselors. Let now the astrologers and the stargazers and the monthly prognosticators... I love that word prognosticators. Anyhow, the monthly prognosticators, let them stand up and save you from what shall come upon you. See, it's, it's God's answer to that, that claim that there is no God, we must save ourselves. Well, then wh- line up all them wise people, all those guys who have all the answers, and let them save you from the destruction that is coming. For it is appointed unto man... Once to die, and then judgment. Every man. Here the Lord is laying it out, that this judgment will come, and nothing will stop this judgment. So, behold, they shall be as stubble. The fire shall burn them. They shall not deliver themselves from the power of the flame. It shall not be a coal to be worn by, nor a fire to sit before talking about the destruction of babylon in very interesting terms don't you think by a fire that can't be escaped there's there's nothing they can do to stop this fire that's going to start and it's not something you want to stand next to and warm yourself with sound like anything you might be familiar with i find it interesting that we find ourselves sitting prophetically on the on the shores if you will of a, of a fulfillment of scripture as we, I think, eagerly look forward to the Magog-Gog invasion. When uh, Russia, who has made a treaty with Iran, the Bible talked about that, by the way, that they would have a treaty, that they would come together against Israel, and that Israel will be caught without the ability to defend herself. And God will defend her and wipe them out. And that they're going to have to use special search parties, Ezekiel says, wearing special gear, marking the places where the dead have lain so that a burial party can come bury them. Kind of interesting. We learned about those kind of things when I was in the Marine Corps. About what to do if you found yourself in a, in a place where a nuclear explosion had taken place. And here when we read about this destruction of Babylon, the fire will burn them. They will not deliver themselves from the power of the flame. It's not a coal to be warmed by or a fire to sit before. Thus shall they be to you with whom you have labored, your merchants from your youth. They shall wander, each one to his quarter. No one shall save you. That's sad words. No one will save you. This judgment being poured out. Now, I don't want you to miss the point that in reality... He's speaking about Babylon that is yet to come, that's coming upon the nation. But often when we look at prophecy, we can see what we, we call a near and far fulfillment, something that speaks of what's happening immediately. But then this other part of the prophecy is the mountain behind the mountain. We still see that top. It still looks like the same mountain, but it's something that's separated by time. And I think when we look at that, we can see the destruction of Babylon From Revelation 17 and 18 which will take place during the tribulation period and I I think we see Isaiah here alluding to the fact that that destruction that's going to take place in Babylon may be from a nuclear explosion. Now does God need nukes? No, not really. He just lets go and things fly apart, right? So God doesn't need that but I find it interesting in our day that we understand how that's possible. Well, chapter 48, he goes on. Hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel. Now, again, I've shared with you before, I love when God uses both names. Why? Because for each one of us, we have a dual nature, the flesh and the spirit, Jacob and Israel, the liar and that which is governed by God. But in this case, when the Lord talks about them, he he gives us something interesting. Those that are called by the name of Israel. They're not called by his character. They're just in name only. And he's going to build on that concept. Who have come forth from the wellspring of Judah. By the way, that's not a a good thing. Judah and Levi were not good guys. Judah and Levi. Remember those guys, their anger was so hot about what had been done to their sister that they, they worked up this scheme in which they slaughtered all the men of the city? And uh, so their father, he would say, "Man, can't put these two guys together because they get in too much trouble. We need to keep them apart." Judah, though his name means praise, his, his, the attitude of his life wasn't that way. And so he says he's saying, "Listen, you guys are just like him. You people in Judah are like your father, Judah, who was a murderer. He goes on to say who swear by the name of the Lord and make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth or in righteousness. It's not real. It's lip service. It's just giving lip service, not giving real service, not really surrendering the heart, saying all the right things. It's just like those people who play church, right? Who can come in and look all good in church and look like they belong and look like everything's all right. But, but what does their life really say the rest of the week? Anybody can show up clean one day a week. I can even do that. In fact, Kathy's going to go away in October for a day, ten days. We'll have to talk about that later. And I guarantee you, in ten days, I will be clean twice. So it should be no problem. (laughs) Let's three times. Three times? Oh, you might be pushing it a little too far there. But listen, the idea is anybody can pretend. Their heart was not given to the Lord. They drew near to Him with their lips, but their heart was far from Him. For they call themselves after the holy city. Oh, Jerusalem, the holy city, the city of God, the people of God, here we are, but their heart was far from the Lord. They lean on the God of Israel. The Lord of hosts is His name. So they're, they're leaning into the Lord. Now God's turning His attention from Babylon Now he's turned his attention to Judah, to the pretenders, to the reason why this judgment has come. And he begins in in verse 3 to to lay out for Judah. Judah, you're without excuse. He says, I have declared the former things from the beginning. Okay, that means the Lord's laying out perfect, predictive prophecy. God's prophecy in in the word, in the Bible, is perfect. Not one has not been fulfilled exactly on point with what was said that it would be. They went forth from my mouth, and I caused them to hear it. Suddenly I did them, and they came to pass. Now remember that phrase, suddenly I did them, means in essence something that comes in rapid succession. Once it begins, it's there. Once the the things that the Lord talked about started, they finished. The same phrase, is that phrase is going to be used of the tribulation period. It's used of the rapture of the church. It's used in a number of different ways. Suddenly, it doesn't mean like out of nowhere it came. It means when it started, bam, it was finished. Once it started, it's going to be seen all the way to completion. Suddenly, I did them and they came to pass because I knew that you were obstinate. And your neck was an iron sinew and your brow bronze. So he's saying your, your neck is like iron, and your head is as thick as bronze. Like you bang it with a stick, and it just goes, thong, and the guy just keeps going. Yeah, I know. We all probably know somebody like that, don't we? So this is what he's saying about Judah. Even from the beginning, I have declared it to you. Before it came to pass, I proclaimed it to you, lest you would say, my idol has done this. Or my carved image, my molded image has, uh, have commanded them. So they, they, the Lord lays out for them, these things are coming to pass. You are without excuse because I told you that they are coming. They still at this point have in the neighborhood of a hundred years. Before this all comes to pass upon them. And at any point they could repent. And draw near to the Lord. Be forgiven. They could say that they're going to be obedient to what God's word teaches. And go through this this period of time. Like Daniel does. I mean Daniel has some hard times. But he's okay right. But here we see these guys. You know their, their attitude is to be shut off. Toward the Lord. Totally and completely closed off and what god is saying is listen you know the greatness and the power of god yet they still lived in a religious image without any spiritual reality they had the image a form of godliness denying its power they had a form of godliness they looked good on the outside but but they weren't real on the inside Then he's going to continue to talk about the sinfulness of Judah. You have heard, see all this, and will you not declare it? I have made you hear new things from this time, even hidden things. And you did not know them, but they are created now and not from the beginning. And before this day you have not heard of them, lest you would say, of course I knew about them. For surely you did not hear, surely you did not know, surely from long ago your ear was not open. I love that phrase. I have a friend of mine that when he uh, made a decision to follow the Lord in a ministry, he, he wanted to actually have his ear opened. You know what he's talking about, right? It's not like, open your ear so you can hear. He's talking about that servant that would present himself to his master and go lay his ear upon the doorpost. And the master would take an owl and punch a hole through his ear on the doorpost. His blood would be on the doorpost of his master's house. He'd put a hooped earring in his ear, and he would be a slave by choice, a bond slave of his master. Now when you think about how the epistles were written, how did they describe themselves with Jesus Christ? A bond slave Of Jesus Christ someone who has had their ear opened that's what he's talking about having their ear open presenting themselves as servants for life to their master but they hadn't done that they don't do that they 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 make a show of it but it's not real and God says listen I tell you things that weren't from the beginning and and you're gonna say oh yeah we, we, we yeah I know that you ever try to talk to someone like that try to share something with them but they already know everything you ever try to teach somebody something who already knows all the answers? It's impossible. If your glass is full, you cannot be taught. Glass has got to be empty. You've got to make room. You've got to make space. And then listen to what he says. For I knew that you would deal treacherously and were called a transgressor from the womb. Hey, these guys were sinners born and bred. We any different? We're all sons of Adam. We become sons of God by adoption that we might cry out Abba Father in the spirit of adoption as God adopts us as we accept him as we have if you will our ear opened and he welcomes us into his family. So here he says, listen you guys, you were transgressors from the womb. But the cool thing is God says, I knew you. I knew this is who you were. And God still loves them and God still delivers them and God still promised chapter earlier that he would never give up on them. That's good news. That's good news for you and me. He says, now for my name's sake, I will defer my anger. And for my praise, I will restrain it from you so that I do not cut you off. God says, listen, because I made a promise, I'm not going to go back on my promise. I'm going to keep my promise. <clears throat> the Lord declared... I have exalted my word above all my name. You understand how God's name was exalted? It was exalted to the point we don't even know what it was anymore. All we know is the Yahweh, the YHVH, Tetragrammaton, the four consonants in the name of God. But the rest of it we can only guess at. But the Lord says, listen, because I made a promise, I'll keep my promise. God will keep his word. Not one jot or tittle will pass away until all things have been fulfilled. That's what Jesus would declare. He says now in verse 10, Behold, I have refined you, but not like silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. I love that verse. That's one of the verses I always try to To refer back to i love the concept of the furnace of affliction well think about the furnace of affliction what did it do for shadrach meshach and abednego they're thrown into the furnace what burned they're the things that bound them the things that they were in bondage to they burned away what wasn't affected their relationship with the lord he was there with them in the fire they didn't smell like fire they weren't burnt just the stuff that separates us from God. I think sometimes when we find ourselves in the furnace of affliction, we tend to think God's judging us or punishing us for some past event in our life. Listen, that punishment was poured out on His Son, Jesus Christ, upon the cross and paid in full for every human being on the face of the earth, past, present, future, until they stand before God having made a decision not to receive that gift, it's done. It's finished. But when we come to that furnace of affliction, we need to realize that this is God's work in perfecting us and doing a work inside of us. So he says, I refined you, but not like silver, but in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake I will do it. For how should my name be profaned? I will not give my glory to another. He says, listen, I'm doing it for my sake. It's going to be for their good and God's glory. That's how it's going to work. They're going to step away from idol worship and God's going to be glorified by the way that he carries his people through their captivity. Listen to me, O Jacob, and Israel my called. I am, I am he, I am the first I am also the last. Again, declaration that we see given both to the Father and to the Son. Indeed, my hand has laid the foundation of the earth. My right hand has stretched out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand up together. All of you assemble yourselves and hear. Who among them has declared these things? The Lord loves Him. I like that. Because the motivation behind all the things that God's doing is ultimately His love. Maybe we've all found ourselves in a place where we had to do something we didn't enjoy doing, but we did it because we love. Here the Lord is saying, listen, the Lord loves him. And he will do his pleasure on Babylon. And his arm shall be against the Chaldeans. I even I have spoken yes I have called him I have brought him and his way will prosper so come near to me hear this I have not spoken in secret from the beginning from the time that it was I was there literally from the the vanishing point the, the concept is you can go as far back as you can remember and then a little bit further to where your memory vanishes God says not I am there but that he, that he was there. He's there already. He's there already. He's already been in that place. He's already a part of that place. He's eternal. And now the Lord God and his Spirit have sent me. And in this moment, attention turns to the Messiah, the Mashiach Nagid, the Messiah, the King. Jesus Christ here is going to begin to share. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Goel, the kinsman Redeemer, the one who would become like us so that he could pay the price for us. The Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit, who leads you by the way you should go. Oh, that you had heeded my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness would have been like the waves of the sea. Your descendants would have been like the sand, and the offspring of your body like the grains of sand. His name would not have been cut off, nor destroyed from before me. Thus only you had accepted my word. Listen, when God speaks of obedience, I think a lot of time we equate obedience with performance. I'm not sure that that's necessarily an equation. Obedience equals performance. I think obedience goes beyond that. I think obedience is that person who takes the word of God and says, yes, it's right. I'm not right, but this is right. This is that foundation of reality. This is true. My heart is in obedience to God's word. My performance will not always be perfect, but at that point I can call upon the name of the Lord and he will forgive me. If we, are, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. We all know the Christian bar is so. But the attitude is, that attitude that says, listen, I am obedient to your word. I accept it. Now, the person who's in danger is the one who looks at the word of God and says, this doesn't fit <coughs> this century. What God says is sin is not sin. Um, that's not a good place to be. You're in disobedience to the word of God. You're saying that God's word is has failed in some sense, or it's wrong, or it needs to be reinterpreted. There's 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 the areas that people talk about. That's not an interpretation area. God usually makes those things real straightforward. And so when we look at that, we want to have that attitude of obedience. His people, the the nation of Judah, they didn't have that. They didn't agree with God's Word. God's Word was just something that they did on the Sabbath. They got together, they read the Word, closed the Word, went about their business, and did their own thing. Sound like anybody else, you know? But then, here the Lord's saying, if only you had been obedient, if only you had taken my Word. What is it? How is it that Jesus said it in John chapter 6? Eat of my flesh and drink of my blood that the Word of God becomes a part of us. It becomes a part. Not that I know everything about it. Not that I know everything about who wrote it or all these other things that people will spend their lives studying, but that I ingested Him. That He becomes a part of me. That's that attitude of obedience. If only you had been obedient to my Word. Go forth from Babylon, flee from the Chaldeans, With a voice of singing, declare, proclaim this, utter it to the ends of the earth, say the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob and they did not thirst when he led them through the desert. He caused the water to flow from the rock for them. That rock was Christ. First Corinthians chapter 10 says he caused the water to flow from the rock for them. He also split the rock and the waters gushed out. Jesus said, if you're thirsty, come unto me and I will give you drink. And out of your soul will flow torrents of living water. So when was the, the rock split? Well, Jesus is crucified. He's crucified and the rock of Christ is split. That's where that old hymn, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Climbing in that cleft, that crack in the rock that was split for me so that I could find a position within the rock of Christ. This is what he's alluding to. This is what he's talking about. Listen, this is God's ultimate redemption, his ultimate deliverance. But in verse 22, he says, there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. Oh, what are you talking about, Jackie? Every day I look on, I can see the, the wicked prosper. Remember what David said. When I saw the wicked prosper, I almost lost heart until I went into the house of the Lord and I saw his end. This time that we live in here, often we put a lot of of value on it. And God says it's like grass. What we ought to be putting value on is that eternal life that is yet coming and living our life that that would be something from which we receive honor and glorify the Lord by what we've done. But often our focus is on the temporal and not on the spiritual. Our focus is on the temporal and not on the eternal. There is no peace for the wicked. In eternity, which is, by the way, a long time, there is no peace for the wicked but the lord declares don't forget this i have no glory in the destruction of the wicked but that the wicked would turn and live that's where we come in amen we're going to spend some time in prayer this evening just focusing on what the lord has for us what the lord wants to do want to invite everyone that's able hang out we'll pray as long as we pray till we stop praying uh uh, we'll just be open to what the Spirit is doing. I want to invite you to be a part of it with us. If the Lord gives you a word, a verse that you want to share, I invite you to share that. If uh, And as the Lord moves you in prayer, I invite you to to share your prayer. All I ask is that uh, you would allow time for others so that uh, the whole time wouldn't be taken up by one person. If you would try to limit what you're doing to to a few minutes so that others would be able to be a part as well. Scripture does indicate to us that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet so we are able to do those things we want to provide that opportunity to minister and we'll hang out and minister as long as uh the spirit continues to move and we continue to pray so i want to invite you as we pray that that i I still believe very firmly god wants to pour out revival and that revival got to start with us and it doesn't need to start with hundreds of thousands of people just needs to start with a few a few. In fact, let me share this thing uh, just in, in closing. I found this, uh, this writing by a fellow named uh, Alan, uh, Alan. Is that right? Redpath. Is his first name Alan? Redpath. Anyway, uh, he's a guy from Moody Bible Institute. He said this It's sobering to think what unfulfilled potential we have and what disobedience or unbelief keeps us from everything that God has for us. I am deeply impressed with the simplicity of the road to revival. Just 24 hours obedience in our lives, and we would be living in such a flood tide of Holy Spirit blessing that there would not be room enough to contain it. And that's, that's the desire of our heart, to see God pour out His Spirit in that way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this time, Lord Jesus. As we come before you, Father, with our hearts open wide, Lord, we pray, Father God, that there would be hearts in this place, Lord Jesus, that want to have their ears opened for you, that want to commit more than lip service, but real service, submission to the Master, a bond slave for life. And Lord, that we would realize or recognize, God, that we don't get to pick and choose what part of the word we like. The whole word, the whole God's counsel is absolute truth. And I don't need to conform that word to my life. I need to conform my life to that word. Lord, I pray that you would pour out your spirit in this place. And as we come before you, Lord, may we give thanks for for the lives that you've touched today, Father, for, for healing that you're bringing, for a work that you're doing. We thank you for a good report uh, with Jeannie Reynolds, Lord, and the and, uh, doctors are seeing now hope, and uh, we thank you because our hope is in you and not in what doctors say, Lord God, and you bring that hope. You give that hope, Lord, and we do pray for her continued healing, Lord, and And uh, we continue to lift that family to you, God, that you would pour out your spirit in a mighty way that they have the strength they need to endure the road that lies before them still. And Lord God, may we present our bodies to you, living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto you, God, which is our reasonable service. Lord, may you do your perfect work in and through us as we, Lord Jesus, look toward that revival for our community, for our body, and for our nation.